Why not? A queer podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Todd. And I'm Jeremy Williams, and you're listening to Wine. Why not? A queer podcast. Episode 44. Mm, nothing interesting about 44. I, mm, I am 44. And yes, there is nothing interesting about 44. I was going to ask you, like, is that Jackie Robinson's number? And then 42. I was, 42. Yeah. The only reason you know that is because, because HBO of made a movie. movie. <laughs> um, actually, it was a, I don't remember what studio put it out, but there is a movie uh, with, I believe it's Chadwick Boseman is Jackie Robinson and Harrison Ford's in it. It's pretty good. Came out, uh, I want to say like 2014, 2015-ish. It's called 42. Yeah. Oh, I was. You know what's weird is I, for some reason, I must have said out. I thought you were talking about a different movie, and I'm like, no, that's that's 42, isn't it? Yeah, 2013. It was a. It was released in theaters. It wasn't an HBO film. Oh, okay. It was a. Gotta give the studio their credit. Legendary Pictures. Oh, Warner Brothers. Now that we're allowed to talk about studios again. Yes, the strike is over. Do you know what's for cool about now? The, it was cool about the strike being over. I thought it was cool, but I am a 48 year old guy. Um, that Kevin Bacon sort of did a celebration dance and, and recreated the Footloose dance. Oh, did he? Did you not know that? You didn't see that? He he <laughs> recreated it and then posted it and said, you know, as if, yay, we can act again. Um, when the uh, the strike was officially over, uh, I was watching uh, mainstream media news, those lying bastards, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, the only thing they kept showing on repeat was um, Busy Phillips screaming on her Instagram, I think is what it was, that the strike was over. And they just kept, kept like, every 10 minutes. Who? Busy Phillips. She was in, um, I think she was in Dawson's Creek in the later uh, seasons. She was in that one cougar town that Jennifer, or Courtney oh. Cox. Any relation to Mackenzie Phillips? Um, yes, I think, actually. I think, she, I think she's part of that whole family. I think she's, like, a niece or a huh. cousin or a... A, a new daughter once removed or something. I and, don't know. And if only Caitlin was here, she would look that up for us. She would. But uh, <laughs> that is an excellent segue. We're we're recording on a different day today. We because are. it is a shortened week, thanks to Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to press earlier. So we are doing our podcast earlier. So we On are, the Sabbath. Yes, we are currently in the, well, it depends on your religion. Uh, if you're Seventh-day Venice, you're, you're chilling on a Sunday and you went to church yesterday. Uh, oh. But we are in the office on Sunday uh, recording the new episode. I mean, no one else here. I'm not a really, I'm not a, I'm not an overtly religious person. So does the Sabbath not mean Sunday? I mean, that's a lot. That is its own podcast in and <laughs> of itself. Um, the Seventh Day of Venice, as I believe, uh, my roommate and uh, best friend is uh, Seventh Day of Venice, and his whole family is, uh, and so is uh, the um, the Florida Hospital here. It's is it called Florida Hospital still? They no, it. it's called- no. I just had a meeting with our insurance company for Watermark because yeah. we're up for renewal, and she kept saying like, "Hey, if you do this, then you then you can't go to, um, you know, Orlando Health. You have to go to Florida well, Hospital." Yeah. and I was like, "But it's not called Florida mm-hmm. Hospital anymore. No, Advent. Advent Health for Seventh for Seventh Day Adventist. So, um, but yeah, they believe that um, Saturday is the end of the week, and that the Sabbath is the final day in the week. Um, the Catholics, and then I think all the other uh, denominations carried over uh, with Sunday. I don't know why. Maybe it was it was better for the farmers. I don't know. I feel like everything from that was done a long time ago 
um, we always blame on the farmers. Like, why do we have daylight savings time? I don't know, farmers. <laughs> <clears throat> Which I've heard is not. Why are the price of potatoes so high? Farmers. Ah, farmers. Mm. Uh, but I've heard that that's not true, that uh, daylight savings time is for a, a myriad of reasons, not because the farmers needed the extra hour to, cro- to, to plow their fields. I mean, I, I mean there was, that was one reason probably back in the day. It probably doesn't make I any mean, sense it, now. It probably helped the farmers, but uh, I don't know. I mean, they're going to the, farm anyway, right? Gonna get yeah, they're going to do it anyway. But from what I heard, and this is based on YouTube and TikTok documentaries i throw my air quotes up for that they're little documentary videos saying you know the real reason that we do this that it actually had nothing to do with the farmers but if it did then you can blame tiktok and youtube for lying what's a good what's a good reason that we did it uh, i don't know to, to recognize the sabbath <laughs> see you can't talk about interesting things because i'm gonna ask questions uh well, first off, it's not that interesting. <laughs> I'm I'm just killing time right now. You know, it's so um, funny as I just chastised you on our podcast for being interesting. Yeah, that's funny. How dare we with our stupid <laughs> we're interesting here to talk stories. about our weeks and our stupid movies and that's it. Um, say I, I think talk I think, about something real quick. I think that there's only one reason uh, for daylight savings time now, and I think it's just tradition. And and that's the only reason. Otherwise, Tradition? just get rid of it. Oh, do you know we've only had it since like 1918? I felt like this was something we've had for centuries. This sounds like something that the 1600s would have invented. Yeah, this is uh, first implemented in the U.S. with the Standard Time Act of 1918. It was a wartime measure uh, for seven months during World War One, in the interest of adding more daylight hours to conserve energy resources. Are we still in World War One? Sounds like we need to get rid of this. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. It'll be nice to get rid of it going into World War Three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we need to conserve energy for World War Three? For what? The nukes? <laughs> I don't want those to go off. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. There you go. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about our um, our listener? Uh, sure. Si- since we're doing history lessons. Um, Last episode, we were talking about um, Italian words and Italian-American words, specifically Italian-Americans in New York and New Jersey. Um, And this is a conversation that I had with my mother this week, who listens to our podcast. And I'm reminded she listens to our podcast every time I talk to her and she, she mentioned something. She's like, I can't believe you said that, like as in curse words or... I can't believe you said that, as in, (laughs) I can't believe you were mocking Italian-Americans. But, uh, so there's uh, certain words, and we were going over them. This is very popular on TikTok right now, where actual Italians who live in Italy make videos about how they cannot stand the way Italian-Americans, specifically New York and New Jersey Italian-Americans, say certain words. And the the number one word that they seem to focus on is mozzarella. (laughs) They don't like the way any American says it. They're, they they don't like that some people say mozzarella. It's they're like it's not a dog. Um, mozzarella. What is? Why is it a dog? Mutt. Oh, if you okay. say M-U-T-T, they don't like <laughs> okay. mozzarella. Um, it's uh, and I'll probably butcher it. This is the I think this is how the Italians say it, mozzarella. So uh, in New York and New Jersey, and in my mother's family, and they, in my house, they here say in Orlando. mozzarella. Uh, they drop the l at the uh, off the end. So uh, there's a there's thousands of TikToks uh, out there of Italians saying how stupid Americans are. They say it, not I, not Rick. 
No, no, no. Not us. No, no, but no. But them, them, them Italians over I there. I do not have the intelligence level to call anyone stupid. So after talking to my mom, and she's like, you know, um, because her thing was when I was like, Ma, it's not me. It's the Italians. She goes, my great-grandmother came over from Italy, and she said mozzarella. So why why isn't she allowed to say it if she's Italian? And I said, I don't know. You're, you're arguing like 100 years ago. I wasn't there. <laughs> but um, I researched it. Do you know what else wasn't there? Daylight savings. That is true. That is true. <laughs> now, 100 years ago today, it was. Right around the time they started saying mozzarella <laughs> is when we got daylight they savings time. They actually changed the time because <laughs> they thought maybe in darkness people <laughs> wouldn't say mozzarella. So it's interesting why um, there are different uh, sayings for some Italian words here. And it's because, and I didn't realize this, I mentioned to you earlier, I assume the country of Italy has been there for hundreds of years, the way that it is. you know, Hundreds the, and hundreds. I mean, the boot shape has been there for millennia. But it, as a country, has only been unified since like 1861. America was a country for about 100 years before Italy was even a unified country. So they had different, like, city-states. They, they called them— Is that why they didn't help us? <laughs> I'm just assuming they did. In, uh, the, in the Revolutionary War. Oh, they, they're they? not talking—were they there? I, I don't, don't know. know. They, don't, they aren't talked about very much if they right, were. Right, that's what I mean. Probably because they were a loose collection of city-states, kingdoms, and I know I'm mispronouncing this word because, you know, I'm an Amer- Italian-American. Doucheries? <laughs> <laughs> it says <laughs> prior to 1861, the unification of Italy, the Italian peninsula was fragmented into several kingdoms, doucheries, and city states. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I can't imagine that. That's I'm like probably what I think th- it is. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Is that like the baths? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like a version of the bath. Anyway, so they had all these doucheries all over Italy. <laughs> I'm gonna have, I you have to Google to know that. What this is. So each of the city-states and kingdoms had their own dialects of Italian they used. And when they unified, they decided to use the Tuscan uh, 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 dialect. And that's what was used in history books and um, language books and all that. Most of the immigrants, Italian immigrants who came over here in the 50s, um, were from southern uh, uh, Italy. And up until the 1950s, uh, most of most Italians, unless you were like, you know, one of them book learning higher up Italians, um, were illiterate. So they all came over here with their own dialects. So the words that you hear in Italian American up there, actually just uh, Southern Italian dialects before. How am I? I'm spelling this wrong. Let me see. D-U-C-H-I-E-S. I might be throwing an R in there that's not supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I would. Ducheries. Ducheries. Okay. No. No? It's did, no, the, the, what it's Dechies? bringing up is douchey. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Or a dukedom. It's a dukedom. <laughs> a medieval country, territory, fief, or domain ruled by a duke or duchess. A dukedom. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have the maturity for this conversation this, this morning. This is de- this is definitely something that should be taken on by NPR or the History Channel, not, <laughs> not us. Not us. Um, but I would love to see if NPR or the History Channel is listening, I'd love to see a documentary on why Italian Americans say words the way they do and why actual Italians hate them as much as they do <laughs> when they say those words. Cuz seriously, I scrolled through hundreds of videos of Italians scolding Italian Americans for the way they say mozzarella. <laughs> Um, bruschette, um, bruschette. Uh, they don't like any of those words. 
What what's the last one? Is it brisket? Brisket is um or uh, uh prosciutto. Oh, okay. Not prosciutto. And no, prosciutto and prosciutto. That's why you gotta put the the ending. Can I get that bruschetta? The bruschetta, and that's, uh, I mean that's a, uh, my favorite is point. Honestly, the gabagool. <laughs> honestly, when I go to an Italian restaurant, yeah, and and it's spelled in a way that I feel like I'm going to be insulting to try to say it, I just you point. point to, yeah, it's funny because I watched a YouTube where a Italian and a uh, Spanish person were talking, and the Spanish guy was saying. Um, well, I'm sure when you go to a Spanish restaurant, you butcher the Spanish words, but nobody criticizes you. And he goes, hey, I just point on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> so just do that. If you don't know the word, just point on the menu. I, I point I point at the, because I don't want people to think I just came from a douchery. <laughs> no, nor should you want people to think that. All right. Well, if you have a comment or something to say, hit us up on social media. We we yeah. got the Facebooks. We got the we got the, we got the, the Facebooks. The, we got the Instas. Instas. Um, and we have an email. And we do. If you're you know almost fifty like me and you like email, then you can do that. WWN at watermarkonline.com. Or if you're older than fifty and you prefer snail mail, send it. Care of wine or why not? So we're not um, we're not videotaping this one. No, because it's because uh, it's Sunday. We're a little lighthearted, and you know, frankly, we don't know how to do it just yet. We're working on <laughs> it. We're working. We did it last time, and and there is a video, but in order for you to see it, you'd have to know one of us and look at it on our phones. So we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. So um, videos so are to people come. can't see this. I was like, why did I even say that? Uh, people can't see this, but you're kind of wearing like an ugly Christmas thing, and I wouldn't want to talk about it. Oh yeah, because I like it. Uh, it is the holiday season, um, so I am sporting. Um, I love the idea of ugly Christmas sweaters, but I am a large person who lives in Florida, so my ugly Christmas sweaters are ugly Christmas t-shirts. Um, so I have uh, it's a Super Mario one, uh, and it's got little uh, pixelated eight-bit Christmas trees and Mario and Bowser and stars, and I'm leaning down. <laughs> That's my voice hasn't started to slur from the wine yet. That's me leaning down, my chin's getting in the way. Um, but yeah, so uh, if you see me out and about, I'm probably going to be wearing some of these ugly t-shirts, ugly Christmas t-shirts, at least until Christmas is over. Yeah, as I said, tis the season. Like Hallmark, how you know we don't get the Golden Girls until Christmas is over. Yeah, I think it actually goes into like January. Yeah, yeah. It's um, also um, if you listen to I don't know what radio stations you listen to here in Orlando, but I listen to Magic one hundred seven point seven on iHeartRadio. Uh, Chad and Leslie in the morning is my particular uh, morning show that I listen to. I don't know why that surprises me. That's a, does that surprise you? It does. I would think you. I would think of you more as like a contemporary music kind of a person. I used to be, but just as of late, I don't. I don't understand what the kids listen to these days. Um, so I listen to the oldies. I, I know it's old. It's like it's newer songs too. It's it's like uh, well, I don't know if you, if you newer. remember back in um, <laughs> back in the early two thousands. Back in the my when I was a kid, we had a, a station in St. Pete. I don't know if it's still a station. Q one hundred five, and they were kind of they would always say we're the best of the 80s, 70s, eighties, nineties, and today. Uh, well, you know whatever the today was at that point. And that's kind of what 107 is. When I listened to it, it was the 60s, 70s, 80s, and today. Yeah. Now it's now and it's. Delilah was on there. Yes. Do you still listen? Is she still on there at night? Sometimes? Um, I don't listen at, at night as often um, uh, to the radio as I used to, but I believe on the weekend she is still there if she's still going. It might be reruns, but I feel like I've heard. She must be 400 years old by now. I mean, I listened to Delilah when I was in high school. Yeah, she's been around. 
for a while. Um, but 107.7 uh, on the 13th, the 10th, I don't know, about a week ago, flipped the switch, and they're all Christmas music 24-7 until Christmas Day. So, Can I just say, I'm going to say something, and this is going to... This is a queer podcast, and so I'm going to bring this up. It's a and safe it's, space. And it's queer-related, sure. so it's justified. But my the worst Christmas song... See, there's a lot of things in, cont- in, in contention for the worst Christmas song ever for yeah. me. Um, All I Want for Christmas. You're not a fan of the I Mariah. No. I mean, no. I don't... Mariah's fine. She's fine. I don't dislike her. I will I say, I feel like it song. is the most overrated holiday song ever. It is. It's at the top of some list Ryan was reading me the other day of like the top 50 Christmas songs. My favorite Christmas song wasn't even in it. Dominant the Donkey? Oh, I should have looked. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was... Um, um, no, I can't even think of it. I listen to it every day. Um, Someday at Christmas by the Jackson 5. I love oh, it. Yeah. Wasn't in there. Now the Jackson Five Christmas song was in there, but that song, not not anybody singing it. Not Stevie Wonder. Not Jackson mm. Five. Nobody. Best Christmas song. Um. Anyway, all I want for Christmas. Not a fan. Mm-mm. Um. What's the the one with George Michael? Not a fan. This Christmas, I do like that one. No, no, no. Yeah. Keep your heart for yourself. Yeah. Be independent. You know what one I like? Don't give it um, away. Where Are You Christmas? The Faith Hill one from Grinch. <laughs> mm, I love that one. <laughs> that does not surprise me. Um, <laughs> so so the reason I listen, I only listen to music. Like um, I, I, I request the song, and then I let the algorithm pick all the others. Right? I do that, too. That's what I do. Yeah. So I don't listen to the radio anymore, especially like radio Christmas music, mm-hmm. because they always play this, this one song which is up there at the worst. And I know that a lot of people are not going to agree with me on this, and that's okay. Um, but they used to play that SeaWorld all the time, too, and I worked there in operations, and I would just like want to take the broom and shove it in my ears. It's Barbra Streisand's <laughs> Jingle Bells. Oh, <laughs> have you ever heard that? Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle oh my bell, away. I, I love it. it. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell. Like it's, it's like, put the speed down. <laughs> I love Babs. I do. I just don't like that song. I dig it. I like the weirdness of it. It is a weird song, and it is not everyone's taste. But I love the weirdness. It's of like it. you wanted to you wanted to get through the the chorus and get to the verse, so you speed it up. Yeah, I feel like she was recording her Christmas album, and uh, Josh Brolin walked in, or whatever her husband's name <laughs> at the time was. Um, and she had to get through it real fast and to go she, ahead. And he was it. like, we have a reservation. He's like, oh, sorry, quick. All right, sorry. jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. All right, we're good? All right. And then she, she had a reservation to get to. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, uh, Christmas music going. Ugly Christmas t-shirts on. What um, else you got going on this week? Uh, what else did I do this week? Um, let's see. I um, I pulled my hair out uh, dealing with yet another uh, issue at my house. You have, you have, um, you, you're unlucky when it comes to dwellings. Yes. Yes. So, uh, this had nothing to do with the actual house this time. This had to do... Um, with my dear friends over at AT&T, um, who I have my internet service through. Um, when we first moved in there, uh, I'm assuming the person before me had Spectrum. Um, so they had just like regular internet. And AT&T was offering me uh, their new their upgrade fiber optics. And it's super fast. And they're like, it's cheap. And we'll give you two months free. And we'll give you a $200 Visa gift card. And I was like, that sounds great. Let's fiber optic. So they had to come lay fiber optics up to the house because there wasn't some already. So they did that, internet going great, and then early or mid last week, 
my internet or no, I got a text message from AT&T. It said there's an outage in your neighborhood. So I was like, okay. So when I go home, internet's still out. So I call them and they're like, oh no, there's no outages in your area. We don't know why your internet's not working. So back and forth, back and forth. They send a technician out. He comes and looks at it. He says, yeah, there's something wrong with your fiber optics that they laid out. Um, so we're going to have to get a fiber optic specialist did out you here. Say, did you say, no, there's something wrong with your fiber optics? <laughs> um, no, I did mention, because when I was on the phone, they said, if we come out and we find out that it's an error in your part, like I did something wrong to the internet, uh, I would be charged a $99 service fee. And I said, well, since you're the one who texted me and said, oops, your internet's out and everything has is the same as it is in the house, so I'm not paying it. Uh, but send somebody out to fix whatever error you made. So the guy knocks on the door and he's like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna uh, we're gonna look at it." And then he comes back. He goes, "Yeah, whoever laid the fiber optics originally did it wrong." And he goes, "It eventually just overpowered and blew out." So I was like, "Great." So I was like, first, ha ha ha, don't have to pay the ninety nine dollars." So I call. He says, "We're gonna get a. I'm not a fiber optic specialist. I guess he's just a regular internet specialist." So they had to send a fiber optic specialist out. He goes, "I'll put the order in." If they're if. They're- if they use fiber optics as their internet, wouldn't they all need to be fiber? I mean, from your ears to a- your mouth to AT&T's ears, um, I have no idea why this man was not able to work on the fiber optics. Maybe um, he had an issue with fiber optics many years ago, and he's on a, a registry list now, and he's not allowed near fiber optics. <laughs> So they had to send out a special fiber optic restraining order. <laughs> so I saw what you did last time, sir. So he uh, he says they'll be out here later on. So hours go by, nothing. So I call AT and T, and he's like, mm, he shouldn't have told you that because it's the weekend, and they're probably not going to be working on the weekend. So she said, you're looking at Monday or Tuesday before you get internet. And I, I mean, we used to live without internet, so you don't think it would be a big issue. But our lives are so tied around having Wi-Fi and access to the internet that it, it, I felt in that house for the last couple of days the same way I felt when our electricity went out. I felt like the world had ended and that this is what uh, Armageddon would be like. And I had no access to the outside world uh, except for my little phone. And the 5G isn't strong out there, so I rely on the Wi-Fi. Anyway, so... I had to dig out my old DVDs, and that's what I've been watching periodically over the last couple of days, popping a disc in. But uh, as I was leaving to come, and how I've been checking to see if the internet works, I just yell out to my Google Home. I would say, hey, Google, and they would say, just making sure the phones didn't light up, um, and it would say, you are not hooked up to your Wi-Fi. Please check your connection. So I'm like, okay, it's not fixed. So I was coming out, getting ready to come here to record the podcast, and I said, hey, Google, and I heard, boop. And it waited for me. As it's doing right now. As it is doing now. And I paused and I said, turn all the lights on. And all the lights came on. And I said, hey, Google, turn all the lights off. And the lights went off. And I did that about seven or eight times in excitement and glee. And uh, then I came here. So internet's back up. Um, The lady lied to me. uh, Said they wouldn't come out on the weekends. And they surprised me and they did. And for all my troubles, they gave me a $16 credit. (laughs) I don't want to turn this into a Karen podcast, mm-hmm. but don't you think that in this day and age that internet is considered essential? Yes, and that they should come; it should get fixed. You sh- you should have twenty four hours, and that's it. It's got to be fixed in twenty four hours. I agree. However, I did not have high hopes since when my electric or my AC went out, which I feel like is also essential. When my air uh, conditioner went out, they made me wait a week. 
to get it fixed. So I'm like, if you're not going to come fix my AC in 100-degree weather in Florida, you don't give a damn about if I have internet or not. Yeah, and I it also, like, if... If you if you ever repair if to repair something and you're you know what's you know you're not gonna fix it right you know you're not gonna go out there and say oh here we go this is the problem let's fix it then you should send somebody out faster yeah right like somebody should come out right away diagnose the issue get it ordered and say okay so my job isn't to come here and fix it I'm diagnosing and ordering and yeah. they should do it like within hours of that day I agree and if somebody is on the phone with you and you know that it's a hundred degrees out and they don't have AC AC don't get irritated when the when you tell them, oh, we'll have the part ordered in about a week. And they say, you expect me to sit in this house in this heat for a week? Don't get an attitude. Because next yeah. time I will call your company out on do the you know podcast. What you should, do you know what you should get instead of an attitude? It's Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And then you can get it in two days. Yeah. Um, yeah I we, mean, I don't know anything about that, that, that industry or how it really works, but it just seems to me, right? And that's what we, like that, if it seems to me that way, then it must be real. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so but that was I did, your week? I'm very happy they showed up today because I legit was going to call Spectrum in the morning. If they, if I didn't have internet by Monday morning, I was calling Spectrum. I bet they'd give you a $300 Visa card. Oh, speaking of that, they never sent the $200 Visa card. So while I was on the phone with the lady and she's like, I'm sorry. I was like, she goes, is there anything else I can help you with? I was like, actually, I was going to let this go, but now I'm not. I want my Visa gift card. So she gave me a separate number. I have to call and deal with them, but I still haven't gotten that shit. Is it like you have to have it for a certain amount of months? No, because I asked that. She said um, when I signed up, the deal was two free months for the upgrade to fiber optic, two free months and $200 Visa gift card uh, immediately that they would process it. He actually said, give it 10 days. We're on month five or six right now. So, Well, they sound like a bunch of liars. Mm -hmm. Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, not alleged. They did lie to me because I still haven't got it. But, um, how was your week? Was it Wi-Fi-tastic? My week was fascinating. It was busy. I did a lot of things. You know, I was back and forth a lot uh, from St. Pete to Orlando, getting a lot of stuff done. Uh, I went with um, Ryan, who is our managing editor for Watermark, mm-hmm. and the, he works and lives in the Tampa Bay area. He and I went to a board meeting for Tampa Pride. Uh, which is which is interesting, you know. Watermark put out a story earlier this year. Yeah, there was there were several. Was over the yeah, yeah, there were several uh, previous board members who had complaint about Tampa Pride leadership and came to us, and we wrote a story about uh, what they had to say about it. And um, you know, we reached out for comment from the leadership there, and and didn't get one. So we run this, we ran the story, and that has created sort of. Uh, friction or a rift and I just wanted to go to the meeting to sort of say or show that you know we're not we're not angry we're not yeah we're just reporting we're just reporting the news right and so we're here and that's why we were there because we wanted to hear what they have coming up they have some cool stuff coming up so they're like great let's write about it uh and we went there for that so we we (laughs) it was funny though because we left the room you know just restroom we're gonna go back in and say goodbye to everybody and I I heard somebody say something to the effect of, oh, my God, here those two come again. <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> I'm like, OK, hey, everybody. I just wanted to wave and said thanks for having us. And we left. Um, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to try to communicate more. Hopefully, you know, get get through all of that, um, you know, because it's a big part of what we do. Right. Yeah. Um, all, yeah. all the prides. So I did that. But I left that because I, I wasn't going to go to that. Um, 
but a conversation I had with them earlier that day was kind of like, this is important. I need to go to this. Um, Cause I was going to go to my neighborhood association meeting. <laughs> Have you ever been to a neighborhood association? No, meeting? I, I've never owned a home and I feel like those are things for homeowners. And I was like, nobody wants to hear from a renter. Oh no, no, I don't think, I mean, I think that your opinions matter cause you're the ones living in the neighborhood. Um, it was interesting. So I'm, I live in, in St. Pete. I'm in the Palmetto park. Um, neighborhood so that's that's where we were named for the famous bug uh, must be <laughs> must be the gigantic bugs no um it's actually really cool because it's like where the warehouse arts district is and like there's you know i mean you can't what i don't want to say a phrase that's inappropriate anymore in, I'll, I'll do it like you know mad libs you can't sling a blank insert thing here without hitting a brewery um right so do you understand what i'm trying to get at you can't sling a cat well, yeah, I just don't want to be You're offensive to cat owners. The feline yeah, folks. I don't want to offend cat owners. But you know, or what was it like, you, like a, a wig or something? I've heard that you can't sling a wig without hitting a brewery in St. Pete. You can't kick a cat without hitting a beer bottle. <laughs> I think you just got a new T-shirt. <laughs> Is that the name of this episode? You can't kick a cat without hitting a beer bottle. Um, we don't we don't condone that, by the way. Don't kick a cat. Yeah, don't kick cats. Unless it's a stray. Just kidding. Don't do that either. Um so Save a cat, kick a so, dog. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a really nice neighborhood. But they had the 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 new executive director of the Grand Central District there. Ah, yes. And it's interesting because it's almost like a Christopher Guest movie. <laughs> like there are there are characters of people you know who who are there to do the do things that they think are important i mean that's the whole purpose of it right you know so there was there was somebody <laughs> really hope none of them listen to this podcast because they just it I, I got it in late and it, and i got it right in the middle of something you know there was something going on apparently i missed an entire discussion about how people are angry about bars and in, in grand central and the music being loud now uh, i live like six six avenues in from central yeah so i don't hear anything that goes on there so i didn't even realize that that the, my neighborhood went to like so it's like first avenue south to um to highway 275 so um we're we're more towards 275 than than these people are so anyway um <clears throat> there's a lot about that people complaining about that and so this guy from grand central he's really good i just want to say he's really good I'm impressed. Like, you know, people are throwing stuff at him and he's just like, okay, well, we're going to, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's find the common ground. And it was really kind of cool, you know, uh, to, to, to watch and be a part of, but I sat there thinking to myself, why do I always have to be so argumentative in my brain? You know, like the things that people are advocating for. And I'm just like, I just don't understand why, you know, I just bought a car. I just bought an electric vehicle and I thought, Oh, I'm doing good for the environment. And now people want to do away with parking completely they want to create walking communities like where people ride bikes and walk and take scooters and things like that so there aren't cars and then people just walk around freely and and i thought what would you do with the streets well but <laughs> they would be walkways mm. so but here's the thing mm -hmm. that i found interesting about this whole argument it was raining outside none of us would have been at that meeting if we didn't drive to it because it was raining yeah and in florida you get rain or you get blistering heat None of those things make me want to walk. So it was, I found that fascinating. But uh, they, it is, they do great things, neighborhood associations do. Uh, they're planting trees in a bunch of houses, and we're going to get one, and that's pretty cool. Uh, but I might get involved. I, I kind of thought it was interesting. 
I think it's important to be involved. Yeah. So anyway, I did that. I am the complete opposite. I hate these neighborhood organizations, and I need them to mind their damn business. Somebody buys a house, let them paint it whatever color they want. Let them put whatever flags they want to hang up. Stop getting into people's lives. Well, I do want to say, I want to point out the difference. That's an HOA. That's a different. Ah, yeah, I don't like them either. There's a there's a homeowners association and then a neighborhood association. I trust me. Oh, is this the sign this with na- the this neighborhood association isn't doing anything to clean up our street, my street anyway. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not at all. I'm not. They they paint whatever you want, yeah. do whatever you want. They're not. They're not. Maybe you enough. do need an HOA. <laughs> but that <laughs> I don't like them. But uh, sometimes I can see the point in them. Um, no, no, they're not at all like an HOA. I would never live anywhere where an HOA is. Apologize to those who might be part of an HOA I and, and on the board. I'm I need sure. you all. I've seen you all on TikTok. I need you to simmer down. <laughs> you know, my brother bought a house um, in a place that has an HOA, and the night he moved there, I think they towed his car the night he moved in. Or they towed it or gave him a ticket. I can't remember which one. But apparently, after a certain time, no street parking. Ugh. Stupid. How can you tell me that I can't park in the street in front of my house? I'm going to park wherever I want. It's my house. I don't I can't do it. Not my house. I don't own it. So I park where they tell me to. <laughs> I also made cookies this week. Oh. You know, I love to make cookies. Yeah. Um, I, Dylan, my husband, and I, we have a – it's not a really a business. We have a hobby, right? And if, if the mood catches us right and if somebody's desires – this all sounds weird. <laughs> if the mood catches us right and someone's <laughs> desires catch us right. Now, if somebody wants cookies, and we have the time, and we're in the same city at the same time, then we make cookies. Um, we we kind of have a, a thing. We call it Bay Bay Bakes. Um, we we've, we've got an Instagram and a Facebook page, I think. Um, but we don't we don't have like a number anybody can call and order. It's like if you if you want some, you can order it. You can it's me- super super underground. Yeah, it's like message us on on Instagram. <clears throat> if we can do it, then we will because we love to do it. But we've been so busy lately, we haven't had a chance to. But one of his networking uh, friends. Wanted to give cookies to like twelve of their clients, so we made cookies for that. And do you know that one of those clients that got them went to our Instagram and messaged us and was like, "Please, I need more." Oh, and wow. I thought it was really cool because usually it's just been through like connections of people, and this was like somebody who just ate them that we've never met and was like, "Hey, I want some of these." So that was pretty cool. So maybe maybe we'll we'll go. We'll actually start a business. What uh, what shape were these uh, cookies in? Uh, they were fall, so they were leaves and an acorn and a, a big cookie, huge that said thanks on it. Oh, how lovely! Yeah, see, I make I make them like I make the batter and I cut them out and I bake them, and then Dylan designs them and makes them beautiful. How lovely! That's how we do it. Aside from that, we, we went had to a little. Sh- we, we went a little to a show. show. We did. Uh, on Friday, we went to uh, Dr. Phillips Center in the Steinman's Hall. Uh, Central Florida Community Arts uh, had their symphonic Disney concert with their symphony orchestra, uh, which is over 200 volunteer musicians and singers. I think it's actually, I think it's more than that. I think that it's, are you reading that on their website? It just, it's uh, for the synopsis for the the event. It says over 200 musicians. And some special guests. I feel like they said that there were either 265 or 245 musicians on stage, but that the but that the um, symphony itself has 300 plus, <clears throat> but they could only fit so many on stage. And then they covered the whole stage. Yeah, that uh, and up, tears up all the way the, up. Yeah, up and into there the were like 60 
there were 60 choral members, but they actually have like 200 or something. Two, or more, well, 250 are going to be at the next concert. So, yeah. yeah. That's a lot. It's just a lot of people. Yeah. And they were doing some uh, Disney favorites. Um, they covered most of the class. They did Lion King. They did uh, Aladdin. Uh, they did, uh, what else they did? Moana. Moana. Uh, Coco. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Um, they did a nice medley from the Marvel films. They did Pirates of the Caribbean. So they hit a lot of different uh, uh, of the um, the Disney properties. Uh, and then they wrapped with uh, a, a collection of the Walt Disney World music that plays at the various rides and then finished up with uh, uh, the fireworks uh, songs. Yeah, they did... Um it was fire. The, their finale or their their encore was. I, I'm pretty sure it was Illuminations, which is yeah the uh, the old Epcot show. But they yeah they had a fireworks show. It was and then they the Spectrum Magic Parade was was one of them. It yeah. feels like now correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like they may have played every single piece of music that the Walt Disney Company has ever put out. They played a ton. Um, now I will say a hundred years, if they had played everything Disney put out, uh, we'd have been there for days, but yeah, they played, uh, it's, (laughs) it was a very long concert. It was, no, it was fantastic. It was very good, but it was, I mean, we're talking like three hours. Yeah. It was like three hours. Yeah. Um, but, uh, very impressed with this orchestra, with this symphony. I joke about it being long, but I wasn't bored at all. Yeah. They were really good. And I, I, from the start, right. Lion King opened it. Right. And and you know this is a it's it's all these people but it's they're all volunteers right so they rehearse once a week for a couple of hours and they all have lives and jobs outside of this right so it's not like they're they're getting paid to do nothing but work on this and and for that i was highly impressed with them and so it opened with the lion king but it was like that you know at the end of lion king when he's when he's walking up um Pride Rock. Pride Rock at the end, and he's got his little lion, his little baby Simon thing. The, the lion cub. I was gonna say Simba, and it wasn't coming out. Um, and it's like there's that whole chorus singing, and like the music's really loud, and like I felt that, like that was the first song. I thought, what are they gonna do from here? How are they gonna how are they gonna outdo this? Uh, but it was definitely like loud and awesome, incredibly entertaining. Really good. The yes. end game thing was really good too. Yeah, there were two parts in it. Um, they ended the first act on a collection of songs from Fantasia, um, which uh, not the American Idol singer. No, 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 not uh, <laughs> Barona, but uh, Disney. Uh, the uh, the the Night on Bald Mountain, Sorcerer's Apprentice thing, um, which oddly enough um, was my favorite Disney movie when I was a kid. Which is a weird movie for a kid to really like, but. Uh, Absolutely love that. And then on the Marvel one, when they got to the part in Endgame, and I think that anybody who is like a big fan of the Marvel uh, films or the comic books, whenever they saw Endgame and it's the Avengers Assemble scene, I think you get a little choked up, a little teary-eyed. And every time I see that scene or I hear that music, you get a little teary-eyed. And I'm, I mean, people were like cheering for that. So I'm sure there were some, some uh, Ryan-esque tears flowing <laughs> Through. Yeah, I just want to point out that whoever put this together must be stalking Ryan. Oh, yeah. The second act was the Ryan act. Every, but even everything about it. And and I just I know Ryan. I know when he writes, he listens to instrumental music. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, everything about this one. Yeah. But he Act two opened with The Little Mermaid and concluded b- uh, before they got to the Disney World stuff with the Marvel uh, medley. And then they went through the Disney Park stuff and the fireworks shows. Yeah, which he also would have which thoroughly he, yeah. enjoyed. So. Um, but I do want to give a shout out um, to, uh, I believe his name is Gino, one of the bass players. <laughs> he was really getting into it. Uh, wasn't unattractive, um, and uh, we was, were sitting right. That was in front my of him. shining star the entire show. I kept <laughs> applauding in his direction. You applauded him... nowhere except directly <laughs> to him. I wanted I him was to notice. Massively uncomfortable, but it was funny. I wanted anyway, to give a he shout was out. amazing because you could hear. I, maybe it's because they were right next to us, but you could hear the basses yeah. of, of that bass line, uh, and it was fantastic. I've been to see several shows there, and and a lot of times I walk in there going, God, I hope this is loud. You know, I just want to. I want the music to literally move me, and this absolutely did. Uh, so I just want to give a shout out to Zach at Central Florida Arts, uh, who invited us to go. He's yes. at Central Florida Arts. Now. He used to be at the Milk District. He's at Central Florida Arts. I believe so. Yes. Yes. I also I want to give a shout out to Terrence Hunter, who oh, is yeah. the uh, executive director. He's also one of our uh, freelance writers. Um, but uh, I saw him there. I heard somebody say Jeremy. And I was looking around. I was like, who called me? And then you were like, uh, it's Terrence. And I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah, he's a freelance writer for us. Yeah, he, d- he does a viewpoint column for us. Uh, but he's fantastic. And um, learned this past week, um, he is obsessed with uh, hippos. Yeah. Huh. They sent out this uh, volunteer uh, email. And the entire thing was about how um, C- uh, CFC Arts has this whole hippo initiative because of his obsession with hippos. How interesting. Yeah, so a little tidbit about Terrence. I would also like to give a shout out to the four bobbleheads that were in front of us. Oh, my God. Because they were so entertaining. There were two sets of, of uh, female presenting ladies. Yes. Uh, in the row in front of us. Uh, two younger ones, two older ones. Um, and the their four heads would just bounce with the music. Yeah. It and the, seemed and in the, unison. And the rip in space and time was between them. Yes. We had decided that we had the, the two... old and the young. And the, 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 those were the younger versions of the two, two old ladies that yeah. they had invited to the concert. The only thing, the only thing I could cri- critique about the four of them is the two younger ones. They had one move. Oh, the back, the hands. Yeah, it was the hands. Like the, they were at an American Idol concert and doing the wave. It thing. was almost like they had, uh, they were Muppets and they just had sticks <laughs> and the hands were going back and forth. <laughs> They had the one Muppet move. So true. (laughs) Yeah. Other than that, they were but great, great concert, great audience. Um, I mean, I want to go see the. They're doing a Christmas show now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the they're probably doing a show actually right now, aren't they? Saturday. They did. Oh, they did one Friday night, and then they did a matinee and an evening uh, yesterday. Ooh, tomorrow they're doing that drawing. I hope I win. Oh yeah. So they had some great artwork there that doing drawings for. Yeah, so you can't go see that show now, but they are doing a show in the beginning of December um, in Longwood, um, yeah, it's where at they're the flipping the, the Northland Church. I think is where the, they're doing they're like it. Flipping the balance of the cast, and it's going to be like 250 choral members and about 50 orchestra uh, pieces, and they're going to do a Christmas concert. Check it out. Yeah, check out every everything that I go to see that they do is incredible. Yes, absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. This morning, yes, I watched the next episode. Well, not this morning. I had softball this morning. Yeah. I killed it. It was great. We yeah. had nine players. See, usually you have 10, but we had nine, which means there were three people in the outfield, right? I was in center field. Now, I am about 40 pounds overweight. 
and I am 48 years old, and I haven't been to the gym in months. And I was playing center field when you only have three outfitters. There was a lot of running involved. I was very nervous about it all. But we managed to win both games. Oh, good job. Now, after that, I went home, and I'm like, crap, we're recording this thing early. I've got to watch our assigned things. So I, uh, we watched the next episode of Fellow Travelers. Yes, Fellow Travelers, which um, I believe on the last uh, show we did, I mentioned that new episodes drop every Sunday on Showtime. That is a lie. I apparently do not know how to read a calendar. They drop every Friday. So if you want to watch along with us, we're going to uh, we're going to hit each episode each week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they, I, they are dropped on Showtime. I feel like the working title of this show was Matt Bomer gets laid. Of the oh of this show, I thought you meant our show, and I was like, well, somebody should. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, there's a lot. Um, of, yeah, there we talked about it last week. I don't want to dwell I, on the sex. It's I just, feel they, a lot of I it. feel like with each episode, they're hitting on a specific fetish for everyone. Like oh. the first episode is like we're gonna focus on people who love feet, and then um, it was the second or third one. They're like we're gonna focus on people who like you know subdom, uh, you know rough sex. Yeah. Um, this is leather, right? Well, this one had the leather, but um, we'll jump right to this thing, talk about the, the sex, and then we'll get to the actual yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. But um, when um, Hawk uh, get or um, I'm sorry, Skippy gets Hawk his Christmas gift. He gets him a, a tie because this is a Christmas themed episode, and uh, uh, they're getting ready to have sex, and he tells Skippy, "No, I'm going to take care of you." So he goes down on him, and when Skippy. Arr! Let's loose. Uh, that is not the first time that you've done that. No, that's that's my sound for that happening. The the explosion. Is that is that your sound for that happening? Always. Yeah. Yeah. I believe even when somebody else is in the room. Even if I'm the one doing it, I do that sound. <laughs> if anytime I have sex, right before it is my turn. <laughs> He's like, do you like it, baby? I'm like, mm. <laughs> I think, I think. Now, I can't be sure, but I think we may have just landed on the reason why you might not be married. Actually, everyone I've done it with loves it. Um, no, but he comes up and he's very closed mouth. And then he's got his, he's got Skippy's, Skippy's peanut butter in his mouth. <laughs> And then he kisses him. I want to remind you that your mother listens. Turn to this. turn away, Ma. <laughs> um, but he they kiss, and I feel like there's a na- specific name for this move. But yeah, he, it's called snow snowballing. Snow, is that what it is? Snowballing. Like, anyway, that's what they did. And I was like, well, this did is they, very. He could have. He could. When he was no, there. he was because he was tight lipped and didn't say anything. And then as their mouths met. They didn't. It wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna kiss you. Their mouths opened, locked, and stayed open. I've seen that move before. Well, you know what? Good for them for exploring different types of. <clears throat> I can't enjoyment. wait till episode five to see what type of fetish they hit next. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, the sex is still there. Um, but this episode is called. The name of the episode is "Your Nuts Roasting on an Open Fire," hinting at the Christmas theme yeah. of the episode and also the snow blowing. <laughs> Oh, you think so? Or was it just that? <laughs> oh, that... my God. I do now because I didn't realize that, that it was called snow blowing. Mm, that makes sense. That's why they did it in this episode. Um, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was because he was in the hot seat. Oh, that too. So many levels. This, to... Yeah. There was actually, I, can't, I didn't I write mean, it down, but there was one line in the show, and I went, oh, that's bad writing. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's just bad writing. Which, do you remember which line? No, was? I wish I did. It was when he was with, it was it was like with right after they exchanged gifts with Skippy, and he gave him the cufflinks, mm. and Skippy said something, and then he said something back to Skippy, and I, whatever it was was like, ah. <laughs> look, and I'm the one romance. I know, and I'm the one who likes air supply. Oh my god! So at the softball game, right, the fields <laughs> we're playing in, I think it's called like. I don't know what it's called. Somebody said it was like the the Zuzu Parade or something, but it was like this thing going on in the complex across the street from us, and it's legit a competition to see whose car is the loudest, whose speakers are the loudest. Ew. I mean, it was so – we couldn't hear each other on the softball field because it was so loud, and I just remember yelling, why couldn't this be an air supply parade? <laughs> anyway, so back to the show. Yes, back to the show. That sounds fun, though. Uh Cool story, Grandpa. Oh. Sorry, your table's vibrating. It's your mom calling to say, <laughs> "Do you know what snowblowing <laughs> is?" Oh my God! If we were recording live right now, she probably would be calling right now to be like, "Jeremy, <laughs> why would you talk about that? You know, people are listening." I didn't write the script, Mom. We're just watching it. You're, Rick is the one who said what the name Rick, was. He's Rick the called one who it snowblowing. He knows. Um, so the show opens in in the 1950s. Um, with a man walking out of an office. he's at, It's at the State Department. He walks into the street and kills himself, hit by a car. And you're like, who is that? Because I haven't seen him in the first three episodes. And why did he just kill himself? I mean, I mean, when that guy walked out of there and the lady says, here's your bag or whatever, and he turned, I just looked at Jen and, I said, and Dylan, and I'm like, he's going to go kill himself right now. And, and he did. And he did. He did. Um, so he gets hit. You see his body in the street. People go running to him, and then they cut back to the 80s. They, this episode, I feel like they cut between the 80s and 90s, or the 80s and the 50s more often than they did the last three episodes. Yeah, and I guess I should, I should say that he, he, he died by suicide. He didn't kill himself. Um, but also, like, I mean, it's not funny because that happened. Right, like I don't, you know, it's hard to when you watch a show like this. It's so in hard general, to tell. It happened. I don't know if that ex- is specific. Um, oh no, no, no. Yeah, that's what I mean. But yeah, that was. But happening. like, it's hard to know what what they're saying for dramatic effect and what's real. <laughs> but there is a point in here which somebody says that uh, that like a person a week takes their own life. I wrote that down. Dies yeah. by suicide. It's um. It's in my notes. We'll get to it when I flip to that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So um, we're in the eighties. Um, and Skippy, we find out who's dying of AIDS, is an HIV activist. Uh, and he is in, um, I think they're at, oh yeah, they are. I was going to say, I think they're at uh, Marcus's uh, apartment. But they are because um, who was, oh, what's his name? The drag queen. Frankie. Frankie is the drag that queen. That sounds right. Okay. So um, Marcus is talking with Hawk and he says a curse word and Frankie says, do not use that. I apologize. Mark. Do oh, not no, what use he tells that is fucking he tells, he, tell, he tells him, he says, fuck you, friend. Yeah. And he says, don't use that fucking language in my house. So then we find out that in the 80s that uh, Marcus and Frankie are together, living together Wasn't in a relationship. that such a nice thing that to was. discover? Yeah. So um, uh, they're meeting at Marcus's house and uh, or apartment, and they're talking about trying to get a meeting with the, uh, the chief of staff of the governor of um, California. Um, Who is it? 
who they're trying to get a hold of? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't look that up. I mean, this is um what the, do we know what year this is happening in? 1986. Okay, so so this is post Reagan's or this is during Reagan's presidency. Yes, yes. So it's whoever was governor of California when Reagan was president. Yeah, yeah. His okay. chief of staff, they're trying to get a meeting with him because there's a bill uh in California that would um um uh, that's uh, trying to like you know get uh, help for and uh, medical attention for HIV research, um, and they mentioned that Roy Cohen is going to be on sixty minutes. So we cut to Roy Cohen. He's on sixty minutes in nineteen eighty six. George <laughs> Dukemajin, Dukemajin, Dukemajins. Why Dukemajins? Why is there so much Duke involved in this I don't podcast? No. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's him. Out loud? Yeah. Oh, that... Dick Majin. <laughs> that doesn't. Sound I feel funny. like my enunciation pronunciation was better because that's um, uh, yeah. So yeah. that that guy. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to get with him. Roy Cohen's on sixty minutes, uh, which we're gonna look into. But I'm pretty sure that he was actually on sixty minutes. I feel like that was also mentioned in uh, Angels in America, um, and in there. Uh, the, uh, the guy, the, the, the interviewer says, uh, is it true that you are a homosexual and you are dying of AIDS? And Roy Cohen is like, that's a lie. So, uh, so it cuts back to the fifties after we see Roy Cohen, uh, on 60 minutes and Hawk is, gets a letter that he has to have a meeting because he has been reported for possibly being a homosexual. So uh, the letter came. Uh, yeah, Mary and put it's it in because remember when in the in the first episode or two, it was like really just watching a two hour long show. Mm-hmm. I forget. Um, but in the first couple of episodes, when he got Skippy the job, Skippy dropped by because he thought he was hot, and he gave him a book. That and in the, in the book, he said, "Thank you, you're amazing. Um, you know, thanks for for all of this." And he put it in on his desk and one of the secretaries kind of looked at that like why is a man giving another man a book yes and so she yeah we later find out in the episode that it's her who turned him in right Um, but at that point he doesn't know who turned him in he just got a letter from the office that says he is being investigated and needs to come in for an interview um so um he talks to mary and uh uh, mary's like you know be careful hawk and he's like i will um, and uh, then they uh, and go Mary back. is the the secretary, the secretary, the that, lesbian, the secretary. lesbian secretary that was Tim's beard. Yes, yes. Um, then we cut to some senators who suggest to McCarthy that he fire Conan, Conan, <laughs> Cohen, and Conan. They don't care for his show. <laughs> um, he's in a new movie, right? Conan. Yeah, he's in that uh, one movie. He's in the movie with the the, the SNL, SNL guys. people, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, this whole thing, because Cohen has been uh, arguing with the army and pulling strings to get favors for Shine, who is his boyfriend, who has been drafted, and he uh, is getting him weekend passes and getting him specially custom made army boots. Seriously, I mean, how dramatic does this queen have to be? And I just want to point out in the in the episode the the third episode, like there's this you get the sense that Roy Cohn likes this guy, mm-hmm. but you don't get the sense that anything's really going on until 
Roy's going to save this guy from going overseas. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, boyfriend. Yeah, and he's like, listen, listen, if you get me my weekend pass, I'm not going to go out with some girl. I'm going to spend it with you, and I'll let you do things. Meaning, I've been uh, teasing you all along. I'll finally let you get some um, if you get me out of this. Haven't um, we all been there? I mean, welcome to the gay world. Um, but no, so he's, uh, you know, Cohen, Cohen is uh, getting on McCarthy's nerves and Shine is getting on Cohen's nerves. There's cracks in the big gay tower of McCarthyism. Um, and while this is going on, cracks, cracks. <laughs> uh, while this is going on, Marcus uh, has his piece uh, published with the Washington Post and he is offered a job uh, to be a writer um, a black writer for black topics uh, at the Washington Post. Um, however, um, it's even though it's supposed to segregation supposed to be over, um, he is asked so that he doesn't upset people to use the bathroom on the fourth floor away and, from everyone. And the article that he wrote that got him the job was calling out DC's non segregation yes, from the and last then they're like, that we love that. Come in with us, except we're also segregated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you remember from last episode, uh, this is the the story that Marcus wrote, uh, left out the gay part, but wrote about the uh, the segregationist part uh, with the club. Um, so uh, we get to the part where Hawk is being questioned by uh, McCarthy's office um, about his homosexual activity, and I wrote some of the questions down that were asked because they are so ridiculous. Um, not only were they asking about his marital status, which, okay, you, you know, you're questioning a homosexual to see if he's married, um, uh, but they had him walk for him. That was the, yeah. Can you get a pair and walk? Yeah. This is the Go only note across, I made about yeah. the whole episode. Walk across the room. Yeah. Uh, and then had him read from a book so he could hear how he sounds, uh, which. But it was, a, it was like, um, it was a book about like a guy picking dresses out of a closet, wasn't it? I don't, it was yeah. He was talking about it, smelling his mother's dresses in her closet or yeah. something. I don't know what book it was, uh, but yeah, he had him read a passage from a book and had him walk across the room. Uh, this is where he also mentioned that uh, the uh, State Department was averaging one suicide a week because of these investigations into uh, the homosexuals. Um, the guy who I want to mention this comes more into play later on in the episode has a huge mole on his forehead, and that is all I could focus on while he was talking. And then he focused on it, and when he focused on it, they zoomed in on it. Yeah. So um, he tells Hawk, we want you to come back uh, next week, and we want you to come back after hours. You're going to take a lie detector test. Do you think that I thought at first he invited him out for um, after hours because he wanted to hook up with him? I thought that's what it was going to be. But apparently, no. They actually wanted to. It's probably because he threatened to kill him. (laughs) Yes, there are two points in this episode where Hawk, um, the lights dim around him and he becomes a a very dangerous sounding man. Like he's going to make bodies disappear. Yeah. One is with the guy who is questioning him um, for the homosexuality. And one was when he found out his secretary is the one that turned him in. And when he leans into her and he's like, you know, enjoy your time while you have it or something like that. I was like, holy shit, he's going to kill her. It was a weird thing. What he said was weird. Um, because she quoted, she's like, I know who you're talking about. And I know it's that boy that gave you that book. And then she quoted what he wrote in there yeah. and it said, you're amazing. So he looked at her and he got really close to her face and he's like, I am amazing. 
Yeah. Enjoy your time. Yeah. And then that was And it. then he smiles at her and she's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's going to end up dead. I'm telling you right now. She'll end up dead before the end of the series. Um, so yeah, so they, they he's with uh, uh, Mary is who he's talking to. No, not Mary. Well, who was he talking to at this point? It was Mary. Was it Mary? Yeah. Yeah. And then he leans in and says that to her. And then uh, uh, we cut back to the 80s. Um, uh, Skippy and Hawk are in Skippy's apartment and they're talking about how he wants him to set that meeting up. And they have an argument and Hawk storms out. Uh, he ends up going to a gay bar. And uh, this part is a little further in the episode, but uh, I found this interesting. So he goes to have a few drinks and ends up in the back area where, you know, the sexy time happens. And this leather daddy you comes up. You ever been up. to a bar like that? I have, yes. Yes. Where there's a back room? Yes. I believe there's two of them here in Orlando. Are they both still open? Do you know what's funny? I, I've never been to one in Orlando. Oh, well, I mean, that not that as a back room. There are, there are hookup bars here, and they are still, I'm imagining, still going on. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, but I mean, like you go into a place and where there's like a bar and people are just hanging out and then behind this curtain, there's all that other stuff going on. Yes. My I've very seen... first bar I went to in Italy I think, yeah, had I think a downstairs and it was a red velvet curtain that you pulled back. And yeah, very much like there this. Was a, there was a bar in New York and it was called The Hole. And you went downstairs and it was like pitch black. Mm. You couldn't see anything. And I was like, well, I can't see anything, so I'll light a cigarette. And I lit a cigarette. And when that flame lit up, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, put the flame out. Put the flame out. There was a lot going on around me. Yeah. I didn't realize that. It's funny because there was, a, there was a, a bar called The Cock, which was a really weird, cool place to go. And then there was The Hole, which I think we're owned by the same person. I don't know. But when he walked into that back room, I looked at Jen, and I said, Jen, is that the cock or the hole? And then these two guys were just banging. And she goes, yeah. it looks like both. It's both. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Hawk leans up against the wall and a leather daddy comes over to him and he goes to push his head down as Hawk does. He's done this a couple of times where um, he's the assertive dumb top and he goes to push him down for some oral sex. And the guy's like, oh, no, I am the daddy. Why do people do that, though? Push him down or flip him around? Where, I know where it is. You don't have to push. He, he likes the assertiveness. I, I guess so. Um, so the guy turns him around and he's like, you know, thinking, you know, I'm going to be the top here. And Hawk freaks out because this is the 80s. And obviously we did not see the leather man slip a condom on. So he's like, you're just going to go in raw dogging it. Sorry, Ma. <laughs> um, so he freaks out and then he leaves. He's like, fuck this. And then he leaves the bar. Um, but back in the 50s. Uh, this is when we get to the uh, exchanging of the Christmas gifts. Skippy uh, gives uh, Hawk a tie. And uh, to thank him for the Christmas gift, Hawk gives him a blowjob. Um, as one does. As one does. And It's then, called manners. <laughs> and then uh, he says that he's going to a meeting. McCarthy and Cohen are going to be meeting with the, uh, the attorneys for the army. And... Uh, Skippy's like, you know, they're doing the, this is what's going on. And he's like, I need you to listen to see what happens. And I need you to give this to Shine when he's there, if he's there. And he gives him an envelope. So uh, we cut to, um, uh, after the, uh, the snow blowing, uh, we go to uh, this restaurant. And uh, Skippy is having dinner with uh, Mrs. McCarthy, <laughs> who's going to be his wife. And uh, 
the boys are in the back room and they're having a little meeting. And uh, she uh, t- first gives him an autographed picture of McCarthy. He's like, I let I had him sign it for you. And he's like, oh, thank you. Um, so he goes back into the room to see what they're talking about. And Cohen and McCarthy are arguing with the uh, attorney for the army. And they're like, we're going to investigate what's going on because Cohen's calling all these favors in. And McCarthy's like, no, he's not going to call any more favors in. And Cohen's like, well, that's if you try to send, unless you try to send him uh, overseas. And there, this, we see the tension building between McCarthy and Cohen. McCarthy is like, you know what? Cohen's going to be put on a leash. He's going to keep his mouth shut. He's not going to get his old boyfriend out of any more, uh, any more of his uh, military duties. And Cohen's like, oh, we'll see. So they storm out. And uh, Shine comes in as they're storming out of the meeting. And uh, Skippy gives him the envelope. So uh, they leave, uh, Cohen and uh, uh, Skippy leave, and Shine, or, uh, Shine and Cohen leave. And they, they've got the, the envelope that Hawk gave to Shine, or gave to Skippy. <coughs> so um, uh, Hawk gets back with Skippy, and this time he gives Skippy a Christmas gift, which is a pair of his cufflinks that are his initials, H and F. My first thought is, how the hell are you going to pull that off? People are going to see his initials on right. your cufflinks. That's what I thought. Um, but, uh, at a dinner, uh, he has them reversed. It's FH and a lady's like FH, what does that mean? And he says it's for his, uh, alma mater and for his, um, uh, what was, what was the history? His major. History was his major. Yeah. Yeah. So it was F and H. Um, so, uh, so that's, he explained the cufflinks. That's when that little hokey back and forth between, you know, loving each other. Uh, happened that you didn't like the writing for. Um, so Hawk goes back to the light to do the lie detector. Now, before the night before he goes to the lie detector, he's reading the manual on one of those light de- the polygraph machines, and reading about how um, how you how it works so that he can try to beat it. So uh, he goes in. He's I think that was Queen Elizabeth. Was that the queen? <laughs> I don't know. So he's looking at a dirty magazine of like men, you know, two men uh, doing each other in the magazine. And he's checking his par- pulse and his heart rate. And then he's looking at a Time magazine, which I think has Queen Elizabeth on the cover. And he's like staring at her face, trying to bring his uh, heart rate down. And he's going back and forth between the hot, sexy guys and the queen. Uh, and he's trying to keep his pulse low because he knows that's how he's going to have to beat uh, the polygraph. So uh, he goes in and they're asking him all the usual questions that they would ask. You know, do you think about men? Do you have sex with men? Are you in love with a man? Um, and he keeps saying no. But he, he answers very like he takes a pause. And I don't know if that was like he's actually taking these long pauses or they're uh, like for dramatic effect. But a couple of times the guy's like, uh, do you want to answer? And he's like, no, <laughs> no. Um, so he gets through it and you find out that he beats the polygraph. So good for him. He's not, he, he's not going to, uh, be kicked out in disgrace for being a dirty homosexual, uh, <laughs> as they, uh, as they call us. So, um, what else happened? Where were we? Where did we, how did this episode end? I can't remember. Oh, wait, we cut back to the eighties and, uh, he comes back from the bar and Skippy is gone. Room's all tussled up, and um, his friend comes in and says that Skippy had a seizure and that it doesn't look good. He's been rushed off to the hospital. So now we don't know what's going to happen to Skippy, 
and uh yeah he had a seizure and it doesn't look good that's what we know yeah so and that's how the episode ends um yeah so we'll see what happens next week um is skippy gonna be okay do you think the show is gonna end with skippy alive no i don't think it is uh, just the way that it's going, and what if it ends with Skippy's alive and Hawk Hawk's is dead? Not. Mm. Interesting. Um, it's so inter- you know what's interesting is that it takes these two times that were so awful for like I mean times have been awful for L- LGBTQ people for a long time, right? And but it takes like the lavender scare and it takes the AIDS crisis and puts them in a show, and it just it's just crazy to me. That that I mean, the reason Skippy is so involved in in AIDS rights is because he's dying, and he's trying to do something, anything. I mean, it reminds me of those documentaries that we watched um, about you know people how to a, survive a plague. Yeah, people sitting in a room saying, "I'm not going to be here next week, and we need to like no one should live like this." And then you go, and they're not there the next week, so. Anyway, yeah, it's very getting, interesting. This, it's getting really, really good. This series. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it works out because obviously we know from the time jump that uh, Hawk and Skippy do not end up together. So uh, I'm looking for that uh, that catalyst that splits them up. Yeah, and which and, you know it's coming, Hawk, which sucks. Well, and Hawk suffered a loss. I'm assuming one of his kids died. Yeah, they make mention of that. You know, I'm sorry you you know you lost. A, I thought that maybe he was rescued. I think we're gonna find out because obviously they keep making mention of this relationship Hawk, Hawk Hawk had while he was in the military, and I feel like something tragic happened to that guy, and maybe that's uh. what they were men- mentioning. Because he said he told in the first episode when he saw um, Skipper, he was talking to uh, Marcus, I think. And uh, he said his two kids. And we saw his two kids. Oh, okay. So I don't think his, any of his kids died. And at some point, his wife finds out he's gay. Yes. And obviously uh, accepts it as much as she oh, can. Oh, I don't think she accepts it. I think what she accepts is that she wants to be a powerful woman. Well, yeah, yeah. She accepts it in that she doesn't leave him. Right. Um, so she's still with yeah, him. Yeah. Um, but there's a point in there after he beats the polygraph test I thought was interesting. Um, and him and Marcus are in the bar. And he cheers him and he goes, uh, what are we celebrating? Are we celebrating? Um, because he said it wasn't about um, beating the test uh, with lying. It was about um, not failing, not failing uh, and, and living your truth or something, right. whatever he phrased it um, in basically to say that he didn't really lie. So he said, so what are you celebrating? The fact that you don't really love Tim um, or that you're such a damn good liar. And he, he put his drink down and he said, we're not celebrating, which I thought was a very poignant moment that he knows that this is not going to end well. Um, but what else is he uh, supposed to do? you know what I do? took it to mean? That he loves Tim. Well, he, when he says we're not celebrating, I think he knows that it's not going to end mm. well. Even if he, whether he loves him or not, he knows he can't be with him. Right. Um, so he he was telling him this is not this isn't a celebration. I don't remember what Rotten Tomatoes was last time we talked about it. Because you know oh, it, it'll remember. change. Um, you wanna? I, I didn't save the files, so I don't know. But you want to take a stab? Sure. Um, we're four episodes in. It's eight episode miniseries, so we're halfway through. So I will say people are getting that intrigueness in the the the, the show now. So I'm gonna say uh, critics are probably still pretty high. I don't remember what it was, but I'm gonna say like 92. 
And uh, audiences, I'm going to say uh, 95. 92 and 95. Let's look at the big screen. 94. And 87. 87. Damn, audiences. I think it was somewhere around that. Remember I was telling you that one guy was so mad that he didn't Oh, wanna... that's right. There were people who were pissed they off were with Hawk. They were mad because Hawk's not a, uh, not a lovable guy. He's not supposed to be a lovable guy. Yeah. <clears throat> yep, so we've got four more episodes, uh, one each week. Season finale or series finale will be December 17th. And uh, more. Right. Let's see come. how much time we're going to give ourselves on this next one. All right, so we skipped this last time, so we're going to try and get this in in the next 15 minutes. 15, 20 minutes, um, which I don't think will be too difficult to do. But we had watched Rustin. We went to the movie theaters to watch Rustin. Um, and then since we didn't get to talk about it and we didn't want it to be like two weeks before we, we got to it, I watched it again uh, half last night, half this morning. I was going to rewatch it, but I didn't have internet. <laughs> so we'll, 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 we'll briefly kind of talk about this now. So Rustin is, um, is the memoir. Uh, it's a movie based on his memoirs, right? Um, and it's Byron Rustin. Byron, yeah. Who was... Uh, uh, he he organized the March on Washington in 1963. Yeah, he was a civil rights activist yeah. uh, and uh, the main architect behind the 1963 March on Washington, um, which is the uh, the famous march where Martin Luther King uh, gave his I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. And so this, I mean, the movie starts off, I think it actually starts off really powerfully. And it is, it's this weird, it's, it's the scenes of, um, integration because it talks about how you know it, it, it posts up the year that integration um, or that segregation was made illegal and that it, places had to be integrated and what they decided to do is this sort of slow motion silent picture uh, take of black children going to schools and there were, you would see like this this cute girl skipping this like black girl skipping down the street to go to class and then it would pan out and you would see that she was being accompanied by the National Guard. Yeah. You know, and then there was like a, a girl uh, sitting at a table to have lunch. And all of a sudden you see like what you assume is ketchup because of black and white. Um, and then it pans out and there's all these kids standing around her screaming, pouring ketchup on her. <clears throat> and it was just it's like it's so fascinating to me. The strength that that children had to have to go to school back then. I mean, I yeah. know they must have known it was, <clears throat> excuse me, way bigger than than them in going to that class. Um, to have that kind of strength was incredible. Yeah, yeah. And in the beginning, uh, one of the things that you'll notice is uh, Rustin, who's played by um, Coleman Domingo uh, in this. If you know him from Fear the Walking Dead, um, <clears throat> he won an Emmy uh, last year for uh, his appearance on Euphoria. So... Um, he is more comfortable being around the younger grassroots activists, more so than the people who run the organizations. Um, he's very good friends with Martin Luther King, and they, you know, they work with the NAACP and they work with these other black organizations. But Rustin is more comfortable, uh, and most of the scenes, particularly early in the movie, is him with just young, uh, young people who just are fed up. It reminded me a lot today of um like you know Anna Eskamani and Carlos Guillermo Smith where they spend a lot of time with like college kids who are just fed up with status quo um and they're looking for change and they're angry and they're hungry for change and they they're the the best ones to 
uh, mobilize uh, for a grassroots movement. So uh, it re- it, there was a lot of connections there. Yeah. Um, with that going on. Yeah. And and so the the storyline here starts off um, in the 1950s when um, Rustin was trying to. Um, it was Rustin and two other people, and they were trying to get um, Martin Luther King Jr. to lead a protest at the Democratic National Convention. And the well, there was a there was a uh, a congressman, a Democratic congressman who was black, who was like, "No, you're not coming into my house and doing this. You didn't ask for my permission. You're not going to do it." Yeah, uh, and Senator Powell, who was yeah. played by Jeffrey Wright in this, He's so good in this. Yeah, He's such a good. Everyone jerk. is good, and it surprised me because I didn't look at the cast list before we went in. I knew Coleman Domingo; he was getting a lot of buzz about his performance, but there is a lot of well known actors in this uh in smaller roles chris rock is in there he plays yeah. the head of the naacp roy wilkins um cch pounder who um pounder um who uh uh, uh was in i think the law and orders i know she was in one of those procedural yes yeah um was it law and order i think so one of them there was I like think, 900 i think she and, and i think she plays like uh maybe it was csi where she was the the coroner or something in CSI. Uh, let's see. X-Files, ER, The Shield. Oh, ER. Yeah, that's yeah. where I know her from. Uh, Sons of Anarchy. So she's been a C- NCIS is okay, what she was what on. Um, so she's been in a lot of uh, of television. And uh, Audra McDonald is in this. She plays Ella Baker. Yeah. she. I mean, Audra McDonald mm-hmm. cannot do anything wrong. Mm-mm. Does it matter what she's in? What was she in recently that we we talked about? She had a, a weird role. Um, she played the oh, it was um, that weird movie with um, where the guy just came out. He got divorced. She played his ex wife. <gasps> oh, with um, bottoms down up, low. No, down low. How <laughs> the bottoms up, down low, something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, she's she's phenomenal in it. And then. Um, who else was really good at it? And I just recognized him from Gremlins, so I wanted to bring him up. Um, it's Glenn Turman. He plays uh, Philip Randolph, uh, who is the union leader. So he is the. Who is he in Gremlins? Um, he I don't, he just was some dude who had, was in a house that oh. the Gremlins killed. Oh, and I will have to yeah. go back and look. Um, I do remember him from that. So, so what happens here is they're trying to to organize this, um, you know, this protest at the at the Democratic National Convention, and this guy's like, no. So now here's the thing about about Rustin, right? Everybody knows he's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't hide it. Yeah, he he's, hide op- it. he's one of the few people back in those days that was openly gay. Right. And, I mean, as openly gay as one could be. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, 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 had, he, had, he had mannerisms, which gave him away as a gay man, and um, so they didn't necessarily talk about it, but he, he just was who he was. Uh, and so, but he, he, he rose to the position he was in because he was just good at what he does and everybody liked him. Now, when they didn't like what he was doing, like some people didn't like this thing that he was doing at the democratic national convention, they then start saying, Hey, this guy's gay. So what they were going to do was start a rumor that Martin Luther King Jr. was having an affair with, with Rustin, with Rustin. And so Rustin thought, you know what? I'm going to call their bluff. I'm going to call their bluff. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do this. I'm gonna resign, and Martin Luther King Jr. is gonna stand up for me, and then we're gonna continue on with this thing. But what ended up happening is the NAACP kind of got to Martin Luther King, and he accepted Rustin's resi- resignation, essentially cutting him from the movement. Yes, 
Um, so there's uh, they they separate. He doesn't. There's a few years there where they don't talk. Ten. Ten years. Ten years. Um, so then there's a time jump. Yeah. So we we see this. He's gone out. He's kind of left the movement a little bit, at least from that standpoint of Martin Luther King and the NAACP. And uh, we cut ten years, and uh, he is at a party, a house party. I love this party. Yeah, I want to. I want to be at this party. The way everybody was dancing and the music, it was just really cool. Nineteen fifty, 1960s. Yeah, apparently there groovy, was. They baby. were supposed to have a protest, and the protest got canceled. Um, and so they all just went to this house and were having a good time. And he walks in. Yeah. He sure did. And so and <laughs> there's an altercation. There's an altercation. Because there's a white guy. There. Yeah, there's a white guy there, Thomas, yeah. who is, you know, I'm here to help fight the cause. But apparently, like, the protest was stopped because the police stopped a bus and dragged people out and were beating them. Mm-hmm. And and it was really it was traumatic. And one guy was describing that. And Thomas was like, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And then this other guy was like, you're sorry. It was probably one of your relatives. Yeah. And then they were started an altercation, and which Rustin comes and breaks it up, which is which he did in such a fantastic way. He says, you know, he's like, you know, you're going to hit somebody, hit me. A pacifist has to be ready for it and willing to take the hit. So go ahead, hit me. And um, that's when he kind of reveals, he shows his face that he said, the police have already taken the right side. So please hit me on the left side. And he pulls his thing that his teeth are all messed up and he's yeah. missing teeth because where he got beat up by the police. And the guy, of course, doesn't hit him. Well, what does he call him? Oh, he calls him irrelevant because this is 10 years later and he's been out of the, the he's game. Been out of the game, yeah. And so this guy calls him irrelevant and he says, as I wrote down some of the things he says, he's like, um, it's Friday night. I've been called worse. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Um, so, yeah, he decides um, 10 years later that he wants to organize a march on Washington. Um, so he wants to do this two-day march where they're going to put tents in uh, on the mall and they're going to camp out there and they're going to have this big yeah. But he's march. motivated by this because of what happens in Birmingham, right? Yes. He's sitting in he's sitting in his desk job or no, he was sitting he was at he was having dinner with um, Ella Baker, Audra McDonald, and they turn on the TV and they're watching kids get hosed. Um, people get beat up uh, coming out of uh, or her trying to do sit-ins at restaurants and this kind of a thing. So he goes to work the next day, and a white guy says, "Shame on Martin Luther King for putting those kids in that position." And he, Rustin just loses it, and he's like, "This is it. I'm out of here. This is crazy." You know, he qu- quits his job. Uh, but his boss, because he's yelling at the white guy, and his boss says, "You know, you can't, you can't yell at him. You're only yelling at him because he's white." And he says, um, he says the fact he yelled at him. He's like, no, I'm yelling at him because he's ignorant and he's willfully ignorant. The fact that he's white while he's doing it is between him and God. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, yeah, he just feels like un, unmotivated or un, uh, unrepresented there. Um, yeah. so he's like, you know, screw it. I'm leaving. He leaves there. Um, and then gets with, uh, some of the younger kids, and they decide they're gonna they're gonna do a march. Yeah, I mean, this is what they're gonna do. There's something needs to get done, so there's like throw out ideas. We don't care what it is. Just let's start talking about it. And they're writing down all the ideas that they have, which is great. I mean, and it's like this two day thing that's gonna involve several. It's gonna have um, 
they're going to march. Uh, they're going to have the speeches out by the, the Lincoln Center. And then the next day, they're going to sleep in tents overnight. And the next day, they're going to surround the White House. And they're going to stop people from getting in and out of it um, as a form of protest. Yeah. Um, now, uh, as he's talking to uh, some of the people, um, he realizes, or they realize, they help him to realize, um, that he's not going to be able to do this without Martin Luther King. And they've got to have a, have a reconciliation. Well, first, they go to they go to. I just want to point out they go to Roy because uh, it's kind of a an interesting Roy Wilkins, who's played by Chris Rock, the head of the NAACP, and they say they want to do this, and he's like, "No, we're not going to do it because he hates Rustin." Yeah. So he says no, and then the the guy Philip Randolph, who is the head of the unions, tells um, Rustin, "You need to go get." Martin Luther King on George on board. So he goes to Atlanta. Is that where he is? Uh, yeah, I, Alabama. Isn't he somewhere in Alabama? Oh, it? I don't remember. So he goes anyway. He goes to to visit uh, Martin Luther King's family, and he 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 walks in while while Coretta is making dinner with her kids, and I just love this moment because he gets her to sing. Um, yeah. And she's got such an incredible voice. I wonder if that's like a real thing. Did Coretta, Coretta Scott King, did she have an incredible voice? Was that oh, part I of no, it? I don't know. Because I thought it was beautiful. And Martin Luther King walks in. They reconcile. He's on board with the march. And because he's on board with the march, now the NAACP has to be on board with the march. Yes. And then people start just flooding in to support. Yeah. Um, just some of the things, because I did list here. Um, as he's putting the march together, just some of the things that he and his uh, kind of his young entourage uh, pulled together, because I thought this was fascinating. Because prior to this movie, people associate Martin Luther King with this uh, this march, and as if he put it on and NAACP put it on. Here are some of the things that that uh, Rustin and his folks um, orchestrated. They packed together 80,000 box lunches. They set up 22 first aid stations, six water tanks, 2,200 charter buses were scheduled, six chartered flights. They got 292 latrines put in. They worked with over 1,000 black police officers uh, from New York who were going to come in, and they were not allowed to bring their weapons. Um, they were going to come. They were going to be just peaceful um, purveyors of, of, of the peace. Um, and then on top of that, Got celebrities like Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, Lena Horne, and James Baldwin to speak at this thing. Um, I mean, that's essentially the entire yeah. march. And but and they did this in seven to eight weeks. <clears throat> yeah, they organized it in seven to eight weeks because what was important to them is they knew legislation was coming. They knew the Dixie the Dixiecrats were going to kill the legislation, so they said we need to show the president that he has to push this through. So they they wanted to do this before the the next session started which is why they only had a short amount of time, and he had all of that in that short amount of time. Now, it's important to point out that somewhere along the way, um, Strom Thurmond, who all of us of a certain age remember as that not-so-lovely senator out of North Carolina. The who, racist asshole? Yeah, who I just remember, like, when I first started at Watermark, <laughs> we were always like, God, that guy's such an asshole. Um, so he outed Rustin in a in a congressional hearing you know and so it made everybody 
flip out again, right? And they were just sort of like, well, we got to get rid of it. And this was such an incredible moment because Rustin was freaking out, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, Having I a full need on to panic get it. Because it was, it, was it was happening again. It was 10 years earlier when he got ousted and he knew it was coming and he didn't want it. So he, he ran, jumped on a subway, went straight to Martin Luther King, who was at the NAACP, and said, you can't let them do this to me because... If we're for freedom, we're for freedom for all. And he basically said, "I am unapologetically a homosexual, and this is my life. This is what we're, you know, this is what we're doing. We're fighting for freedom, and we should continue to do that." So then you don't know what's going to happen. So he goes back to his office, and he has this really awesome moment with Thomas, who was the white guy that was getting in the yeah. fight. They have had an on again, off again relationship. And apparently Rustin's like M.O., according to Thomas, is that he gets young guys to fall in love with him. And then when it gets too close, he ditches them and goes on to the next. And but he had this really great moment with Thomas where he was like, um, you want me to you want me to love you and I can't do that right now. He's like, maybe when I'm older and the fight is over, um, then maybe I will. But just know that you're my family. And I thought it was just really this beautiful moment where he's basically saying, I, I love you. I just can't love you the way you want me to. So then somebody runs in and they're like, there's a press conference going on. You have to watch this. So they get up there and the first person talking is the union leader, Philip Randolph, who is basically saying, you know, how dare you all come at him? You know, and because wait, wait, Rustin is convinced that this is going to be the end of his career. And then Martin Luther King gets up there. I just pulled a picture up of him. He's the professor who who Billy brings the Mogwai to. And then oh, he fades okay. up and turns into a gremlin. He's the professor in the school. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Continue on. Uh, so um, I, I forget where I was. Uh, he's watching on TV. Oh, yeah. He's watching on TV. Like, and he thinks it's the end of his life. And yeah. the union leader is just like, I can't believe that people who claim to be men of God would come at somebody like this. And then Martin Luther King Jr. gets up there and says, basically, you know, he's not just my friend. He's. Or he's not just an amazing person. He's my friend. And there is no one that I would lead uh, that I'd want leading this march than him. And then they cut to Rustin and he's just bawling. Yeah. And and it's just this incredible moment, you know, um, where he's validated by his by his friends and those around him. And so then right after that, it's it's the march. Yeah. And um, now I do want to point out um, that throughout this, um, which is kind of a secondary story, secondary part of the story, um, he's also engaged in a relationship with a closeted priest or preacher, yeah. um, which seems like a completely separate from the March extra story. Um, but uh, it's, it's a good exploration of, um, like you said, with Thomas, where he latches on to these people that um, in his mind, it's not he's it's not going to be able to be a long term thing. Yeah, almost as if he finds troubled people because he know it can't be long term. But yeah, so they go to the march. Yeah, and so then then there's a the march, and I, I wrote this down because who was it? Um, she also sang really well. <laughs> it was just gorgeous. Um, whoever was playing Mahalia Mahalia Jackson was singing at the beginning of it, and it was gorgeous. <clears throat> um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the only two musical parts in this. Speaking of music, I do want to point out um, something that uh, stands out in this, and maybe it's because I like a good jazz ditty, um, but there's a jazz, this whole movie has a nice jazz score through it that is just really, really good. Yeah, I wrote, I love the music. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll look it up. I don't know who, who did the score for this movie, but, uh, um, oh, here it is. Music by Bradford Marshall. 
Marley's? Marseilles? We're so good Marsalis. at We're so good at pronouncing things. Branford Marsalis. Who is a saxophonist and a jazz musician, which makes sense because it's sense, a jazz it's score. Uh, but the whole score is amazing. Yeah, and so you know, so then there's the the march and everything, and, and we all know how yeah. that goes. This, 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 the things that we all learn was, about the march and the speech. Really great about it is at the end of it that how people just came up to him and was just like, especially the 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 woman, the one that was in CSI or uh, um, C- or CCH NCIS. Pounder, uh, Doctor yeah. Anna Hedgeman. She she went up to him and said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, at the end of every day, my father would say, what did you do good today? And then she's like, I don't know if this was your life bringing up, but wow, what a day. Like, yeah. me, me to say, you did something so incredible today for so many people. And it, it that was really touching. And then um, then um, Chris Rock's character, Roy Wilkins, walks up and says, we all we the top 10 or the 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 10 the leaders of 10 organizations were invited to go to the white house immediately to talk to the president. And it was this amazing way to, um, this is what they wanted. Right. And, but, but Wilkins, Wilkins, not Wilkins, Rustin wasn't part of that. And it was Roy Wilkins that said, you should be with yeah, us. Oh no, it was, us. actually it was John Lewis. John Lewis said, Rustin should be in that room. And he, and, and, um, then in that moment, Roy Wilkins just kind of basically validated. He had been against Rustin this whole time and basically yeah. validated everything that he had done. But Rustin says, no, thank you. No, thank you. Enjoy your meeting. I have garbage to pick up. Yeah, he said, he said, I told you weeks ago that when this was over, you know, I would I was no, you know, no bigger than anyone who was cleaning up afterwards. And, was, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help clean up. And it was just really interesting. I mean, yeah. can you imagine? creating something like that and just being so humbled and just like, okay, now I'm just going to pick up the trash. Yeah. That was really, it was, it was such a good movie. Yes. It was a good movie. I think, I feel like you liked it more than I did. I, I definitely think, liked it um, a lot. Dolman uh, or Coleman Domingo, amazing performance. Fantastic. Um, the, he is currently tracking within uh, the top five who will probably get an Oscar nomination for this. Um, the like I said, the score is absolutely amazing. I hope the score gets a nomination out of it. Outside of that, it seemed it was just a, a as, as at least for me, it was a standard biopic. There wasn't anything extraordinary about it outside of uh, that performance, um, which um, is just he did fantastic. Here's how this is what a movie can do to me. A movie for me could be the slowest, longest movie if the last five minutes of it move me i love the movie yeah and that definitely happened in this yeah um it was and don't get me wrong it's a good movie it's on netflix uh it's worth it out you should definitely see um but definitely your standard biopic um for me so what do you think i'm gonna you want to i'm gonna tell you what rotten tomatoes was last week and i'm gonna tell you it's not the same oh okay kind of or do you want to just you want to just go why don't you just guess i'll tell you what it was and then i'll tell you what i think because I'm assuming that the change is because it went from just people who saw it in the theaters to it's all over Netflix and everybody yeah. can watch it now. So I'm thinking that the only people who sought it out in theaters are people who really wanted to see it. So I'm going to say the score is probably higher when you first checked it. Um, uh, critics, I'm going to say 87. And audiences, I will say f- originally 95. Because I, like I said, if you sought this out in the theater, it's because you really wanted to see it. Um now that it's all over Netflix, maybe it dropped a little bit. So I'm going to say 90. 
now for audiences. I'm going to I'm going to stick with 87 for critics. Oh, okay. All right, so here here's what it was. Okay. It was 85 53. 53? Yeah. Wow. That was a week ago. Interesting. And now it's at 86 74. Interesting. Yeah. So 74 being the audience? Yeah. Not I think it's going to climb. I think it's going to keep climbing. I mean, I think so, too. Um, Like I said, it seemed very middle of the road standard to me, but not like 74. Yeah, and and I think when you go into it, you got to remember this. It's based off of his memoir. Yeah. So, I mean, it's his his version of that reality. Yeah, and my critique of the film isn't based on the story itself. Now, the story was written by um, Julian Brees and Justin Lance Black, who wrote Milk. Um, which I thought was a great movie. Um, other things that Lance, uh, Dustin Lance Black has written, um, he did the Hoff, um, who was the, the FBI guy who dressed in, in drag? Hoover. Hoover. He did a movie on Hoover, the, the um, Clint Eastwood directed one. He wrote the script for that one, um, which was not a very good movie. So he's kind of hit or miss with his scripts, but the story itself I thought was fine. I just thought it was a very generically made movie as far as, uh, biopics are concerned. Yeah. I think there was a lot of information <clears throat> that they were trying to get out. Yeah. Because it was a, I mean, a lot happened and there were a lot of players in that. So it was a pretty big cast. It's a pretty big, well-known cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- maybe, maybe material that would have served better as a mini series. It's a lot to get in there. Yeah. Well, they should make a mini series of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, out before this movie, the, one of the great things about this movie is, a lot of people had no idea who this man was. I had no idea. Um, he was given um, a posthumous a Medal of Honor from Barack Obama in like 2012 or 2013, something like that. Um, but like very few people knew about him. So um, the the importance of needing to have this movie made outweighs the 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 mediocre writing of Daniel Lance. One hundred percent. You know, it's one of those things where you know. Um, they, this is the I don't know what the word is. It's not like whitewashing, right? But it's the the gay people existed in history. Yeah. Gay people were significant in history and we need to hear their stories and that's why this is important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh for those who who are um uh, interested, the um his after milk, he wrote uh Virginia, he wrote eight, he wrote J. Edgar um, he also wrote and produced uh, When We Rise, which is that miniseries that you enjoy. And he also wrote and directed uh, and executive produced several episodes of Under the Banner of Heaven, which is that Mormon thing we watched yeah. last year. So, yeah. So, yeah. Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's worth it. It's, uh, it's, it's worth it, if anything, for Coleman Domingo's performance, because you're yeah. going to be hearing about that in, during award season. He's definitely going to be uh, amongst the best actor nominees. So you're going to want to watch that just at least for his performance. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, next week we'll be back with another episode of fellow traveler and something else we haven't decided. Probably some other movie, I guess. Sure. (laughs) But, uh, until we're back, uh, the cork is back in the bottle.